back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K-Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Today we're talking about building your foundation and how to kind of get started in the agriculture industry or expand your operation using some creative methods. For those of you who haven't heard about me, I am the founder and lead educator at Kettleman U. I graduated from Montana State University in 2015 with a bachelor degree in animal science And I knew that I, one, had a teaching heart. When I first started going to college, I thought I was going to be an ag education teacher. I grew up without FFA, and so all of my friends who were in FFA, I thought it was a really fascinating experience. And I was really excited about the thought of being an ag teacher. And I spent one day in the classroom, and I said, I don't think I can be in a classroom every single day. So I figured out a way that I can teach in the ag industry, that looks a little different. I'm also the owner of K Rose Company, which is our ag marketing agency and a farm to table retail store called The Rancher's Daughter. So I'm really passionate about helping people get into the industry, especially the cattle industry, and breaking barriers on entry into this industry. We're going to talk about kind of building your foundation, how to either get started in the agriculture industry without a big line of credit, or how to kind of expand your operation and grow in some unique, different ways that I'm going to talk about today. So let's talk a little bit about the Kettleman U mission for those of you who don't know, but we really want to ensure there's the next generation of farmers and ranchers. And so we want to change the tone of successful ranching from being overworking underpaid to prepared and profitable. This is something that our whole entire company, all of the businesses I own are really passionate about. I think we have a negative connotation sometimes when it comes to ranchers to ranchers talking, right? It's a lot of how many hours we were up, how many, you know, days we've gone without a day off the ranch. There's a lot of this kind of like overwork comparison. And I think there's ways to do agriculture different. And that's what I encourage the people in our community. Um, We can still be profitable. We can still have the way of life of agriculture without kind of making our operation the enemy and the excuse of not being able to take a vacation and things like that. So that's one of the things we're really passionate about here at Kettleman U. And we just recently updated this timeline and I thought it'd be fun to share with you guys. So Kettleman U started during COVID. I first thought of ways that we can provide ranchers education at home because obviously during COVID, we weren't going to any conferences. We started a membership. And then we did a live event and really enjoyed that. Actually, one of our Seedstock customers attended our live event, and he still today claims that that live event made the biggest profit shift in his business by some of the decisions. We obviously have the podcast, the Kenneman You podcast. We have a profit finder. We have a planner. And then last year, we hosted our first She's a Hand Ranch Camp, which I know there's probably going to be some questions about that. And then we kind of restructured the membership into the collective. 
So we're going to talk about how to get started in the cattle industry, um, how to create a plan to maximize your income on the operation. One thing I want you to think about when I say income is that is both income and expenses. Um, what type of cattle to buy and when, understanding the cattle market cycle and how to market your cattle, and then what to have on hand as far as cattle supplies, and a little bit about what I think you should need to be prepared or to add to your kind of vet supply list. So how to get started in the cattle industry. One of the biggest myths that I think is that you have to be born into the industry. And you have to come from a multi-generation operation is the only way to get into the industry. And to be honest, we're seeing a lot less of those every single year, just because if you have multiple children passing down, estate tax, like there's a lot of things that go into inheriting or taking over an operation that's not as easy as you'd see. The numbers about how many ranches fail to go to the second generation and then the third and then the fourth are staggering. And so it's always really interesting to me because when people ask about our operation, I am for, I'm third generation in agriculture. My niece and nephew are fourth generation, but my dad moved to Montana without anything, you know, but a pickup truck and my mom. So when we came to Montana and started an operation, he started from the ground up, but I am still the third generation in production agriculture. And so I think sometimes we talk about that and that makes it appear that the barrier to entry is really, really low. But there are so many ways to get involved that don't include writing a check and buying a whole cow herd. So one of them is working for a ranch even part-time. We really admire and respect when people reach out to us and they'll say, hey, I'm really interested in agriculture. I don't have any experience. One of my goals is to own a cow herd myself. Do you need help on a Saturday or Sunday? Do you have any after five work that I could do? Do you have any events that I could come? And when they present themselves that way, it's really easy for us to say, sure, we'll hire you for a weekend or we have a dog trail coming up. Why don't you come and help? And it doesn't have to be this big full-time job. It doesn't have to be, you know, even a regular thing. I think it's really important to know that there are ranches out there that want people to be in agriculture and they're willing to accept and to teach you when you kind of come with that mentality and that passion. The other thing is, is volunteer your time in the agriculture community. If you can surround yourself by people who are in production agriculture, so the farmers and the ranchers, if you can find where those guys are and you can volunteer your time, you know, a lot of those kids that bring steers to the fair have a ranch at home you know, volunteer and surround yourself by those guys. Those guys are going to be the ones that help open the doors for you. Think outside the box. One of the coolest stories that we have, and I'll talk a little bit about her throughout the whole presentation, but is one of our neighbors. And it probably started three or four years ago. She's a few years younger than me and she didn't grow up. Her mom, I think, worked in town. I don't think her dad ranched, but um, a few years ago, she approached my brother and she said, hey, I need to get my bull semen checked. My brother's like, okay, great. And she said, if I come ride with you and help one day, because I don't own a shoot. My brother's like, I don't care. Sure. So she's been doing that for several years. So she will team up with us on the days that we're preg checking, the days that we are, you know, semen testing, anything like that. She brings her trailer down and She'll throw her bull in with ours 
doesn't cost the vet anymore, right? And it's an easy way for her to kind of be involved and to get her cattle the care needed without this huge expensive bill. And so just think about ways to think outside the box. There might be some operations nearby that you could trade some labor for ownership on cows. So this happens a lot where you trade night calving for ownership on a heifer calf or something to that nature. Don't be afraid to approach things a little different because it is very impossible to find a ranch, write a check for the ranch, stock it with cattle, and then wait for them to calve and for you to have a calf to sell. Like that is a huge ask. And so think about ways that you can trade what you're already good at in order to get your foot in the door. And some of the things that you guys do for a profession are really beneficial for farmers and ranchers. And so there is lots of room to trade. As farmers and ranchers, we love to trade. One, because no one wants to pay taxes. So if we can trade it, we're going to. And so don't be afraid to consider some unique trade opportunities. I always recommend looking into leased ground. One of the things that has been really successful is leased ground that is farm ground. So this is wheat stubble, this is corn stubble, this is ground that's being farmed so the farmer can still have the use and you can have it in off season. And if you teach your cattle to respect hot wire, it's really easy to move pastures and to get them out when needed. But I would recommend looking into leasing ground before you ever start you know, buying ground and having a land payment. Leasing ground is still a huge part of our operation, even though we've been settled at the current place we are since 2011. And so we're still 13 years in and we're still leasing some ground. The other thing to think about too is depending on your cow size, you don't really need that much land. And the other thing too is you can approach someone and ask to run your cattle with theirs like in the summer. So we actually just had the scenario. We had some wheat stubble and one of the local guys approached us and said, hey, can I throw my cows out there if every day I go and check the water and move the mineral for you? So you guys don't have to drive up here and do that. If I can throw my few cows out there with yours on pasture. We said, sure, no problem. Put yours out there. So there's a lot of ways to think about it. And there's a lot of opportunities that look a little different. One of the things we're going to talk about is how I recommend that you start with a pair versus bred cows. And so when you're getting started in the cattle industry, if you buy something that's bred, you already have kind of a hurdle that you have to get through to think that you're going to have something to sell. So they have to calve successfully in order to have something to sell. And I remember I got my first cow when I was in eighth grade. And I had two cows at the time. My dad does not run a mother cow herd. And it was nerve wracking thinking that I could lose one of two calves, which would be a 50% death loss. Always recommend buying a pair instead of buying a bread cow. Okay, let's talk about how to maximize your income plan on the operation. So again, the kind of the biggest theme here is to think outside the box. And for most of you, selling your calves off your cow is not going to be the best bet. That is the industry standard. To maximize that potential, you have to have approximately a truckload of calves, which is about 100. And so 
if we're just starting an operation or if we're kind of changing the way we do things, like that's going to be a while, which is completely acceptable. But I think industry tells us your cow needs to calve and then you got to sell it at weaning time and it needs to go down the road. There's a bunch of different reasons why the industry is set up like that. One, because of different pasture structures, some things like that. But for beginning operators, that might not be the best bang for your buck. So when we think about maximizing our income, we need to break down the income and we need to break down expenses and you need to know what you have control over. One of the things that we do in agriculture that just drives me crazy is we always focus on the things out of our control. We cannot control the weather. We cannot control fuel prices. We cannot control all of commodity prices. But there are a lot of things that we can control. And instead, we try and focus on the things out of our control. The biggest saying that I have, I'm sure the team will tease you guys if that they would put on my gravestone, is control the controllables. I say that all the time. And I think in agriculture, when you're starting, you have to control the controllables. And one of the things that you have control is, is how you spend your time. Your time is the biggest expense on an operation that most ranches don't even consider. I know people who will blow the entire day checking cows and they will feel really productive. But yet that made it might have been a two hour job that they turned into an eight hour job because they enjoyed it, but also because they didn't add any value to their time. If you were charging the ranch for your time, how would you change how you did your work? So think about that. If you had to pay yourself for every hour that you spent of manual labor, how would that tweak what you were doing on a day-to-day basis? It's something that in agriculture we're really guilty of. Like we don't value our time at all. Your time is so valuable. One, it's how you make an income, right? We always say that. You have to trade time for money. And two, it's your biggest expense. One of the things when we think about outsourcing or hiring help is we always say, well, that's expensive. But is it more expensive for someone to do that in an hour versus taking you eight hours? Something to really think about, because I think in agriculture, we have the wrong approach about that. We always will be like, oh, it's much cheaper if I just do it myself, even if it takes two or three days. You know, like in my family, we're not mechanics. I remember when I first met my husband and he was talking about changing oil or something. I was like, well, we take our vehicles to town to do that. He said, what do you mean? You don't change your oil at home? I'm like, no, my dad and brother are not mechanics. We learned very quickly. It's much better to have a great partnership with a mechanic then try to do it ourselves, where it's going to take three, four, five times as long, even though it looks on paper like it was more expensive to hire the mechanic, but it wasn't. It was actually more expensive for us to waste our time on it when we could hire it out. So you got to think about what part you have control over. So your income can come across all different avenues. Of course, you have calves, you have bulls, you have meat right? That's why we raise cattle. You have labor, you have experiences, and you have your cold cows. Cold cows on a standard ranch is the biggest factor in improving income. 
Cool cows make up about 20, 25% of a ranch's income. Most ranches make the mistake of selling their cool cows when supply is high and demand is low, and that can negatively affect the income in an incredible way. We'll talk a little bit more about that on the cattle market side. On expenses, you have feed, land, labor, vet supplies, of course, buying cattle, bull cost. One question I always get is, when do I buy a bull? To be honest, you have to run quite a few cows to have a bull pay for itself versus AI. Because this year, in the seed stock marketing world, we know that the market's hot. Those bulls are on average going to cost four, five, six thousand. It probably is not going to be the best move to buy one for twenty five hundred because there is such a demand, and so we know quality decreases a little. And you know, straw semen can be twenty or twenty five dollars. So sure, you might have to check the cows a little bit more. You might have to AI one twice or three times to get our bread. But you can buy a lot of straws of semen before you can pay for a $5,000 bull. And it feels weird, right? Because the industry will say, even if you AI your cows, you still have to have a cleanup bull. Or do you? Right? We're told a lot of things in the industry that just don't work when we're trying to start or tweak our operation. The other thing, too, is you have experience that can be an income, right? You can share on social media for a lot of farms and ranches nowadays that that is earning a significant income. For them sharing what they're doing on TikTok, on Instagram, right? You can have people come out. I know people who charge schools for field trips, for tours. Like There's a lot of different ways to think outside the box. But when we look at maximizing our income, we have to look at both income and expenses. So when we look at expenses, right, we have feed, we have land, we have labor, we have vet supplies, we have cattle, we have bull costs. The thing to think about here is what portion can you control? You might not be able to control your feed costs, but I can tell you that hay is a lot more expensive the week before a winter storm. Supply and demand. Same with all of these other costs, like cattle and even vet supplies, a lot there's supply and demand. There's a curve to when the prices are higher or lower and the supply is there or it's not. And so when you're thinking about how to decrease some of these costs, you got to be thinking outside the box a little bit. Try to think about things a little differently. Maybe with hay, maybe you can trade the guy and go pick up some square bales for him in exchange for some hay. Maybe on feed, one of the things we do is we feed cool potatoes. It's $80 a ton delivered. This year, hay is pretty cheap. But for a long time, right, hay was two or $300. So it looks pretty significant when you do that. I know a lot of people feed bread, right? You can feed grocery store waste. There's a lot of ways to decrease the feed cost while still doing a good job, but they might not look industry standard. On February 25th through 29th, we will be welcoming ranch women from all across the country into our brand new Cattlemen U Collective. The Cattlemen U Collective is our revamped online membership community for ranch women to connect and learn ranch skills. We will be covering our six pillar topics, money, cattle, relationships, home, 
faith in cooking each month. The collective is perfect for the ranch woman who is yearning for a community that will meet her where she's at and challenge her to reach new, bigger goals. Not only that, but yearly collective members will get first access to She's a Hand Ranch Camp 2025 and a discount on their spot. You can join the waitlist today at the link down below. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the type of cattle to buy and win. So for those of you who are getting started, I recommend pears versus bread cattle. I do think temperament matters. If you're only going to have a couple cows around, don't have cows that eat your lunch. It makes it not fun. And it also, one of the things about having wild cattle is they can smell when your confidence takes a little bit of a hit. And so it just makes it where you don't want to go out and be around them. And part of the reason, a good chunk of the reason that we're in this industry is because we enjoy it, right? So have cattle around that you like. And true, I absolutely think docile cattle in the long run make you more money, right? They're less stressed, all of that, different handling setup. I would not buy anything that's younger than three. I'd always buy three-year-old pairs or more. If you have irrigated grass, some of you have irrigated grass. In Montana, we don't have a lot of irrigated pasture, but some of you do. You can buy some smooth mouth cows, some older cows, and get a couple good years out of them, especially if they come from a place like Montana where they've had a hard life, and you go and put them in this small little pasture with really good grass, they'll give you a couple good more years, which is a great place to start because sometimes those cows sell for the same price with a calf that they would without. And so you can buy them on the lower end and make your money back. I would not buy bread heifers. If I were you and just starting out in the operation, I would not buy bread heifers. I sell a lot of bread heifers on the cattle buying side. A lot of people like bread heifers. There is a lot of risk with bread heifers because most bread heifers act like teen moms and I don't say that in a bad way. There's a lot of bred heifers that are great moms. They calf, but sometimes they don't know what to expect. And when you have a whole pen full of people who've never done this before, it can be a disaster. And so if you're buying some bred heifers and mixing them in with some more mature cows and they can kind of see the process and see what's going to happen, it helps. But if you're just getting started, I would not buy a bunch of bred heifers. I would even hesitate to buy heifer pairs. So right after they've had a calf, because the hardest breed back is a two-year-old to a three-year-old. So a lot of times they'll breed great their first year, and then they won't breed back as three-year-olds because nursing that calf took too much out of them, and so their cycle wasn't regulated, all of these things. Um, so it can be really challenging. So I would skip the bread heifers. I would skip bread three-year-olds. I would go to three-year-old pairs or higher. The other thing... Don't buy rebreed cows. And it's really hard to know if you're going to sit in a sale barn, try to find someone who buys cattle full time to help you. Rebreed cows are cows that for whatever reason didn't breed or lost the calf and they're bred back. And so it oftentimes moves them from spring calvers to fall calvers, something to that nature. And there's a reason that they are rebreed cows. You might not know it. They might not be advertised as it. But there's something they either, you know, their calf didn't get up and suck. Um, they didn't have enough milk, something like that. And someone's recycling them in the industry. Uh, they can seem a little bit cheaper, but they in the long run can be a disaster, especially as you're just getting started. 
Okay, so bread cattle are the highest November through March. Uh, December and January and February is when the most demand for bread cattle is. Pears are cheapest in the summer or the fall. So when you think about a, a typical operation schedule, they calve out in the spring and then they go out to summer grass in some capacity, right? So they either have calves that cows that they can't send to summer grass yet because they haven't calved, or they'll have cows that calve on summer grass that they weren't expecting and they might just take to town because they don't, you know, they don't have a place to process them or anything like that. So pears are cheaper in the summer and the fall because it's off cycle and it's a cyclical cycle. And for those of you who have a small number of cows, it doesn't really matter when your calves are born because you're not going to be selling the traditional way in October with a load of steers. It's all about supply and demand. So it's all about when's the most supply, when do most people sell their cattle, and that means supply is high, demand is low. When is supply low and demand high? And so it means buying cattle in a season that is not typical. So when they say big bread cow sale this week, thousands coming to town, what does that mean? Supply is high, demand's low, don't bring your cows to town. So you want to kind of offset what the whole market is doing and be the opposite way. Now, when you're a seller, you have to think about that you don't want to be the only person selling that day because like there's a sale tomorrow that I'm not going to go to because they don't have enough cattle. So it's kind of a fine line. But when you're looking to buy cattle, you're okay if there's only one pair coming to town and it's a good pair and you're the only one interested because that means that it's just off season. And so you might be able to buy something that's an abnormal time and make some money on it. The cattle market is a cyclical cycle, meaning it repeats itself and it's on a 10 year pattern. So I always get these people on TikTok who talk to me when I talk about the cattle market and they'll say, well, it's a 10 year cycle except for all these other factors. No, 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 it's a 10 year cycle. One of my cattle feeders in the Midwest took me in the basement and said, look at the wall. He had mapped out the cattle cycle from the moment they created the futures and the live market. And he had it from a 10,000 foot view. So he had put a tiny little dot every single day and he mapped it out on the entire wall. It's a bell shaped curve every single 10 years. And the top, so the top of the bell curve always is four, five, six, and then zero, one is low, eight, nine is low. It's very standard. And it always gets higher at the peak than we've ever seen before. And then it drops back down to about the levels we've seen before. And it just looks the exact same every 10 years. The funny thing about that is we are towards the high of the market now. It's hard to know if we're on the climb or if we're going to be on the decline. That's the only real guess that we have. You see a lot of people buying bread cattle right now, right? This is the time where people, we're having these big bread cow sales. People are buying bread cows left and right. And in three, four years, those calves could be worth half of the value they are today. And it's really funny, too, because unless you have a good banker, this is the year they want to loan you money. They're like, heck yeah, I'll give you some money. 
look, calves are up, bread cows are up. I'm like, yeah, but next year, what if calves drop? What if calves go back to where $1.20 or $1.30 a pound? Can I make my payments then? And then on the years where bread cattle get cheap, right? Because the calf market's cheap. Bankers are like, oh, I don't know that I should loan you money. And again, it's 10 years. It looks the same every single year. You're going to rally half the time and you're going to fall half the time. And now inside that rally is some dips and dives, right? But from a 50,000 foot view, the cattle market all looks the same. And then within the cattle market, we see cool cows reach a low October and November. And a lot of times like March. And we see them reach a high in the summer and around holidays. Because especially the kill cow market, the plants need X number of cows every single day to harvest, to feed us all. And if there's not a sale or if there's not enough cows, they pay more money because they need to buy the cows available. If there's a ton of cows available, they know they're going to get plenty and they buy them as cheap as humanly possible. And so I would not sell your cool cows in October or November. Not at all, because every other person, not every, 80% of people, right? Sell their calves, break check their cows, and bring their cows to town in October or November. The worst time that you could sell cool cows. And one of the pushbacks I get when I talk about this is not everyone has a place to put their cool cows. I didn't ever say you needed to hold on to them longer. You can sell them earlier. We sell a lot of cool cows in early August because there's simply not a lot of them. Most people are still on summer grass. Most cows still have a calf on their side. And so there's some opportunity to be creative in the market. The other thing, right? Typically we see bulls bring a little bit more right now, February, March, April, May. For some of you, buying private treaty is going to be the best or buying semen. Everyone, all the semen companies usually have a semen sale in the off season, in the summer. You know, buy it there where you get a $5 discount straw or something. You have to think against the grain in the market in order to be able to survive in this industry. But there are ways to decrease costs by doing things a little bit differently. Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? Look no further. We have created the Cattle Menu Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We have included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at cattlemenulive.com backslash planner. To get a sneak peek of some of the new sections in the planner, you can go to cattlemenulive.com backslash preview. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what supplies to have on hand. I think this is a... a can of worms that we could dive into and you you kind of feel like you have to have it all right and when you're just getting started this can be really really overwhelming one of the things i want you to really think about is you can waste a lot of money on expired vaccines 
buying too much vaccines for what you have or buying too much antibiotics. There's nothing wrong with building a good relationship with a farmer or rancher and calling them on the phone and saying, I need one dose of this vaccine. Can I buy one dose from you? And I'll pay you more than that dose is worth. But that might be cheaper than you buying the whole bottle. So again, think outside the box and build those relationships. I think everyone should have a good cattle record system. I think it's really important, especially when you're small, it's easy to say, oh, remember when she calved or I'll remember who I bred her to. Having a good system that you can write down and you can pull the data, there's nothing better. And there's nothing that helps me buy your calves better when someone brings their whole records to me and says, here's what I have from the very beginning. You can think outside the box on some supplies. I recently did a TikTok on putting in uh, rectal prolapse. We used sugar to pull out all the moisture of a rectal prolapse. So just white table sugar. And I remember talking to my brother and I was like, I think people, when they get in the cattle industry, they think they have to have this whole vet room. And he's like, yeah, they don't really need that many supplies because they're going to have to have a good relationship with their vet because you can get, you can treat pink eye with sugar. You can do a lot of unique things with some of your regular household supplies. Having a standard antibiotic that you can use in a pinch is really important. One of the things that we talk about at ranch camp is Kelly, the vet. She goes through and talks about kind of all the different antibiotics and which one she'd choose. But you need one that one has a long shelf life, especially if you have a small number of cows. Something that doesn't have to be stored in a fridge, right? Because a lot of you, where you run your cattle, you might not have a fridge. So something that can be stored out on a shelf. Something, preferably, that sunlight's not going to damage if it gets set up in the, you know, dash of your pickup truck, something to that nature. And so you can spend some time with your vet to figure out which antibiotic you want to have on hand. But I would have an antibiotic that you really trust on hand just because it is easier to be able to have that. And when you need it, instead of calling the vet and saying like, I need you to come right now. One of the things that we talk about a ton in Kettleman U is your vet is such an important role. And I know the moment we hear vet, we think of a vet bill. We think, dang, I can't call them. It's going to cost too much money. One of our big practices within Kettleman U is how to build a consulting relationship with your vet because long-term that's actually going to save you money is to build this relationship where they empower you to make the decisions and to be able to do the things you need to. And they only step in when it's absolutely required. And so I think that's the way of large animal vets. I don't know about where you guys are, but man, it's hard to get large animal vets. They have to travel a long way in Montana to get from ranch to ranch and they have more clients than they can have time for. And so I would really work on creating a great relationship with a vet so that you do feel like it's a partnership role because I think that's just so, so valuable. You need to have a temperature, um, like a temp gauge. Anytime a calf or something sick, you want to temp them. A temperature can tell you so much. One of the things that I just recently read on Facebook is, especially with a newborn calf, a lot of people will feed it warm milk to warm it up, but you can't warm a calf from the inside out. Um, so it needs to be the outside in. Amy, 
ways to use some of those household products. There's actually a lot more that my brother has put together. We'll have that inside the collective on all those kind of unique ways to use your household supplies. Um, so they recommend that if the calf is warm to the touch, I think it's under 99, they need to have scolding hot water on the outside of them. So a bathtub. If it's above 99, they need to have, they can go into a warming box. And so is this really great post? We'll find it and share it again so that we can make sure all the temperatures are fine. We'll share it on the kennel menu page. But it just was one of those things where you have to have a thermometer. You have to know the temp. And I know my brother right away, the first sign of sickness he sees, he will temp them and say, oh, this temp means X, Y, and Z. There is, you're going to have to buy, I think, all antibiotics from a licensed veterinarian. Uh, they have to view your operation once a year, which is something that we talk a lot about, like the questions and the relationship to have so that they only do have to come out once a year. But you can buy an, a standard antibiotic and keep it for the entire year versus calling in and getting a new prescription every time. So the other thing is, if you don't have a good setup, you're going to need a rope. And one of the things that even with a good setup, we have a good hydraulic chute. We have kind of all of the things. We still use a rope because for a lot, a lot of opportunities, it is less stressful. And so it is the best option. If you're going to be calving cows, you got to have chains. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You got to have some chains around. Claustrum's hard for me because powder claustrum, it is getting better, but it is something that expires. So I would not keep claustrum around all the time in large quantities, like a 50-pound bag. One of the things we've done is we've partnered with our local dairy and we trade them back and forth some stuff. And one of the things that they'll trade with us is some claustrum. They've showed us how to come in and get it out of the tank so we can have claustrum ready at any time without having a 50-pound bag that goes bad. Because you're feeding a lot of calves with claustrum if you need to use that bag. And I know that a lot of times bottle calves will go downhill if they have bad claustrum. So the other thing to think about here is if you don't have a working facility, you can either rent one, you can use a fairgrounds or a shipping arena place. There's a lot of different opportunities where you can take your cattle and you can use someone else's facilities. But the other thing too, is if you drive your cattle into the vet and you might need to put new, new ear tags in while they're preg checking them, don't hesitate to say, hey, while you have them caught, can I put these new ear tags in? There's no rules against that. When, especially when we're thinking outside the box and we're thinking about ways to increase our income while decreasing our expense. And for some of us, those things like a silent shoot, you know, a nice silencer shoot or a good inside facility is just not even in the long-term plan, which is perfectly acceptable. One of the things I used to joke is we recently got an inside facility and that's where we host ranch camp. And I remember one of the attendees saying, man, this shed's really nice. And I said, yeah. I said, I think the reason that we find we got a shed like this is because there were a few nights that we stayed up all night processing cattle in the snow and we'd get inside and we couldn't move our hands. And finally, my dad said, oh, we might need to have a shed over, you know, over the facility, but it's brand new. And it took us, you know, we processed out and outside in a long time. And so just knowing that it's okay 
no matter where you're at and where your facilities are, you don't have to have all of the nice fancy things to get started. Sometimes in the industry, we try to compare ourselves to the neighbor and you're doing something completely different than the neighbor, whether you're just getting started, whether you have one cow or a thousand cows. To be successful in this industry takes creativity. And that is one of the things that I'm so passionate about inside Kettleman U is women have to be back as decision makers in operations because I don't think that we can have a next generation of farmers and ranchers without creativity. We've talked a lot about some creative ideas here, some like think outside the box stuff, but the beauty is, is you guys all think creatively naturally. And so don't be ashamed or afraid to try some new ideas to go against the grain. Like I think that's what's going to make the difference in successful operations and not successful operations. And so be willing to try something, be willing to call a rancher on the phone and say, Hey, I know this is crazy, but I have five calves to brand. If I bring them over, can your crew help me if I provide day labor? Most of the time you're going to get a yes, or, Hey, let's try this. Or, you know, we'll just come down and help you. One of the things that we do on our operation is we try to really help especially 4-H and younger people in the industry. And my brother gets some crazy calls, right? Some people who need day help. Um, we've had people come over to use our chute to pull a calf. Like you can really partner with your neighbors and with the right neighbors and kind of the right mindset. I think that that goes a long ways and that's pretty non-traditional, right? To think about my grandpa going over to his neighbor and asking to borrow something like that doesn't feel like that happens as much as it happens nowadays. And I think that is a great thing. Like we need to have the relationship where you can call your neighbor and ask for some flour when you, you know, you're missing a cup. Like we have that relationship in agriculture. This industry is really hard. So like if you're new in this industry, it's not it's not an overnight success thing. It's a lot of hours. And the weird thing about having cattle is it's really labor intensive for some of the year and for some of the year it's not. And so it feels, especially now, right? We've had a kind of a miserable winter and it actually hasn't been that much snow in Montana. But even my niece and nephew who are eight and five said, um, do people go south for the winter? My dad said, yeah, they do, but not you because <laughs> the cows still need fed. As you set up your business and you're looking at different insurances, you want to work with a trusted advisor. And if you're in the collective, we can bring an advisor in to help you with this. But just like what business structure makes the most sense? Where do you fit? Are you an employee of the business? Do you want to pay workers comp on yourself? Are you a sole proprietor? Like we can help you with some of those insurance decisions, but it's going to look a little different for every operation. The big thing is, is, you want to make sure that you're protected in some way. One of the things we do at K-Rose is we offer Aflac. It's not like I sell Aflac or anything, but we wanted to have an accident policy just in case someone got hurt because most of the K-Rose team members are on operations. And so if they were home helping or a lot of them work from home and they got hurt, we wanted to help supplement their income. And so Aflac was one of the options we chose. But there are a ton of different insurance policies and it's all kind of based on risk and how you fit in that. Um, we work with advisors who kind of help us decide that. And like I said, I'm happy to bring them in, but it's very dependent on your risk. You know, if you have another kind of income that changes workers comp, all of that. But if you have employees and they're outside with animals, it's going to cost a lot of money in workers comp.
but can't we can't really get around that, unfortunately. And they will ask if everyone works outside. So if you have anyone categorized as office employees, they will be like, do the office employees see cattle? Because then they don't classify as office anymore. I think it's really important to think about that it looks different and it can kind of be a struggle, but there's so many unique opportunities that you guys get to do when you're first entering the market or when you're trying to change your operation. I know some of you listening might already have an operation and hopefully tonight I gave you some creative ideas, some ways to think outside the box. Thanks again for listening to the Cattle Menu Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.